This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's going on, <laughs> Mr. Balone? How are you? Well, you know, we're living in interesting times, but I cannot complain relative to most. Um, How about you? I definitely can't complain. Uh, I definitely can't complain. That is that is the overarching. Um, that is the overarching sentiment of everything that I've been feeling and thinking over the last nine days. It's like, my God. Um, I always knew I lived a, a, a charmed life. Um, but this is a, you know, I think if you're a white person in America over the last nine days, you've either, you've had one of two thoughts, either you're like angry at what's going on and like this and for not the right reasons, or you're like, Holy shit, I've had it really easy. And uh, it took this to it took it, it took this to bring that feeling. And again, not that I didn't know that I had it good, because I did, and I I, right. I definitely like recognized that that was because of um the color of my skin. Uh, but I don't know. It just ro- it, it it raised it to a a new level, and uh, you know I feel bad about that. It took whatever. Fuck, I'm 37 years old. Yeah. Took thirty-seven years to, to for that realization to set up. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, how, how about you? How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, no, I I think um, you know it's funny when I grew up that the school I went to was a pretty diverse school, um, and to the extent that it was interesting the way the school would be categorized. Um, so it was Manchester high school in Connecticut. And we were maybe like 10 miles outside of Hartford. And, you know, as a kid, you would hear things about, you know, the Manchester schools, how they aren't quote very good or, um, you know, comparing them to, to other towns. And, you know, they would look at things like test scores and whatnot, but you know, as you get older, you start to realize that, you know, a lot of the commentary about the schools had to do with the diversity, looking at it as a bad thing. Yeah. Um, and I think back now I'm like, well, geez, I'm, I'm lucky that I was able to go to a school like that because, you know, I, I had friends of all different backgrounds where we got to talk about different things and, um, you know, gain perspective. And I think now, uh, you know, with everything going on, you realize that no matter, you know, where you kind of came from as a white person, you still, you still don't truly, you know, know what it's like to experience, um, 
you know, life in other people's shoes. So I think the, you know, you try to be active in your community, but you also just try to listen and try to learn from other people and read different things. So that that's kind of what I've been doing as we've been, you know, stuck at home, especially having two little ones that, you know, it makes it kind of tough. I mean, you think about over the past couple of weeks, I mean, last week we're talking about a pandemic Oh yeah, of what of one kind, and now it, it it's sort of a pandemic of another kind. But it's it's really just made it where, um, you know, me and my wife will participate in in certain things. I know, uh, you know, we we just like to be active in these type of things. But then you're also considering, you know, safety when you have the small kids, and we have grandparents that might need to help watching them. So it's just been all these range of things that you're considering while also trying to you know do, do what you can do. Yeah, I. You know, the pandemic has been easy because we just, when she asks, we're like, oh, everybody's sick. And she's like, okay, you know. And I mean, she'll ask follow-up questions occasionally, like, when are people getting better? Why aren't we giving them medicine? But, you know, she's, uh, what, four months or four, three months and change shy of uh, four years old. So we could still pull that off. I mean, you, you know, with with Zoe and especially Libby, um, I mean... I can imagine the questions that you're getting because she's, I mean, they're both smart for their age. Um, so I don't envy, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I, I was about to say, I don't envy the position you're in, but at the same time, it's like, you got to talk to them at some point. So why not now? Well, well, here's the, the ironic thing about it with kids is I think that what frustrates all of us about the way society is, is how, older generations are quite ignorant to things. And yet what excites us when we talk to kids in a way is how they're able to be ignorant to things because they can look at things with fresh eyes and it gives us hope that maybe they will see things different. So, you know, it's kind of funny how it, um, how it kind of works that way, but that, that's how I see it. Right. It's, you, you have these kids who they don't have, as much of the baggage yet that you get just walking through life and watching, you know, media and watching movies and things that portray things certain way, reading books, you don't have as much of that yet because you've only been exposed to so much that you can literally see what a person thinks just naturally before these things are taught to them. Yeah. Um, I'm like, you know, I, I look, we, we don't have to go on for too long about it, but it's like, I'm waiting for, cause like we, I, I always, I try to make an effort to have like books that feature people that look different than, you know, Scarlet Ray does. And to like have, she's watching a TV show, I have TV shows that have like people that look differently. Um, and like we have, you know, uh, not the not the most diverse group of friends that we see on a regular basis because of where we are in Long Island and there's just not a lot of people that we know that live out here, period. Um, but it's like, you know, I'm already waiting for the day where she like asks a question and about like, well, what, you know, why do, why, like, why do some people look different or something like that? And just to, to be like prepared to answer it in the proper way. It's like that, you know, that's intimidating. And I'm a teacher, I'm saying that. But, um, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's been, there's been a lot on both of our minds. Uh, but as is, as, as I, I have made the internal commitment to do, as I, as I think you have as well, I think, um, I think distractions 
play a role in uh, keeping everybody sane during times like this. So uh, onward we go. And uh, this is indeed the 200th episode of this podcast. How about that? No, I know. I, I remember the first conversation we had about, you know, you may be doing a podcast. That was the first the first conversation we had about joining joining forces, so to speak. Was, yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, that's was, right. Was we, we, were, yeah. set a podcast. <laughs> we were plotting to sign with the new team at that point in time, weren't we? <laughs> Who, who's K, who's KD and who's Kyrie? I'll be Kyrie. I'll, I'll fall on the sword. <laughs> um, but yeah, so two hundred. So definitely, congrats to you. I think um, congrats to you. you know, I, I think you you are not one that's short on confidence on yourself but you're also you know humble about things so i'm sure you're you're surprised in terms of what it's turned into oh my god um you <laughs> to say the least i uh it's still it's still unfathomable to me every every time somebody reaches out uh and just says that they listen to this which i you know i and not that I look at them very often, but my my, understand, my understanding from what Andrew, uh, shout out to Andrew Claudio, uh, who's been producing this thing for a little while now. Um, I know he looks at the numbers. I really don't. But my understanding is that a fair amount of people listen to this podcast. And every time somebody reaches out to me and they're like, hey, I'm a big fan of the podcast, it still shocks me. Because I still think, like, why in God's name would anybody spend time listening to a <laughs> blessed thing that I have to say? Right. Um, yeah, but I wouldn't have, listen, the podcast wouldn't. I wouldn't be doing it if it weren't for you. So um, given that it is the 200th episode, obviously there's only, <laughs> only one person I could have on to uh, to have a conversation. And we I look at it this way. We actually, how appropriate is it that, look, look, look at it. So two things happened this week, or it, and not even this week, between the 199th episode and, and this. A Dolan thing happened. And the Knicks season officially ended. <laughs> well, maybe not officially because they need to vote on it. But yeah, you know, right, right. But basically, know. yeah. So I, if that's not fitting uh, for the episode that me and you have to talk about, I don't, I don't know what is. Yeah, no, we, we, uh, you worry when you're still creating content, right? So me now doing uh, daily Knicks, where you know we're trying to. Cr- create a pretty steady flow of content. And obviously with no basketball, it's like, well, what the heck do you write about? And it is insane how with the Knicks, there is always, always something, um, you know, to comment at. So, so where, where do you want to start? I guess is the big question. Um, goodness gracious. By the way, congratulations to me. Congratulations to you. Um, running daily Knicks. Uh, how many articles? I know you're keeping track of the amount of articles. I know you are. Well, I, I think, well, there's, there's two parts of it. So one is when I was taking a complete break from doing any Knicks things, I wanted to try something different. So I started taking over uh, Dodgers Way, which is the fan-sided site for the Dodgers. And um, I wrote like 106 articles over 30 days for that site. You're insane. <laughs> you really are insane. <laughs> and there's no baseball going on and there's none. But anyways, they 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 obviously uh, wanted me to do the the Knicks because that you know made more sense of a fit. So now I'm actually doing double duty, Dodgers and Knicks. Um, but yeah, so I, I actually don't know what the Knicks count is. But we you know part of the way the the model kind of works is you know now we're getting paid for views. Where before obviously when I was doing Knicks Film School, we we didn't do anything on a revenue. Um, 
but you know, there's certain things, stipulations in terms of how you, how often they want you to write and whatnot. So there, there's definitely a high frequency articles. I'm, I'm transparent about that. But like I said, I think with the Knicks, you know, it, there's just a lot there that believe it or not. I mean, look at today, you know, they, they announced the season's over and, um, you know, I did an article on Maurice Harkless. The Harkless thing. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Just missing his phone. <laughs> and it's just like, it seems like a nothing story, but there you go. You got a story to write about where. You know, he would have qualified for a $500,000 bonus if he had shot at least 35% from three this year. And he entered the the last game, as it turns out, that the Knicks played against Atlanta, shooting 36.2%. But because he only had 94 attempts, when he went 0 for 4 that night, his percentage dropped to 34.7. So he will miss his bonus by 0.3%. You know, and half a mil for Mo Harkless is, I mean, what was his contract for? Nine, nine point something, 10 point something this year? So I know. Yeah, I think around that 10, 10, 11 range. Yep, yeah. Right. Um, yeah, no, that, that matter. But, you know, it's funny just thinking about briefly, we'll actually talk about the next. Thinking about this big picture, it's so funny to me that you, you know, and we've talked about this before, you started out doing one thing, doing the film stuff. And since you stepped away from that, so many other people on the internet are doing versions of what you did. I mean, hell, I even try to do it when I include the little the little clips in the newsletter and try to break them down. Um, but like, there's been a lot of people who have tried to pick up that slack. Whereas when you morphed into what the Knicks Film School account became during the, um, God, I'm losing track of the years, 18-19 season, in anticipation of like KD and Kyrie, and it was a different like giant news every day. Since you stepped away from that, no one, no one has really picked up that slack. So when you started p- putting out all this content uh, for Daily Knicks, it hit me. I'm like, wow, there really was a void where just there's one account that you could follow, and like I would try to do it to a certain extent, like make sure I at least like got something out there about everything. But like that, I don't want to be doing that shit. Um, well, right, right. Well, it's funny you say that because what I've learned doing the Dodgers site is there is a big difference in terms of how the different blogs, uh, you know, cover those two teams, you know, both major market teams. And that is with the Dodgers. I mean, there are, there are some sharks cause you know me, I like the competition and there, there's this one site, Dodgers nation they must have an army of people just sitting at their computer waiting for <laughs> any possible Dodgers item that comes out and they have it up on their site in seconds. Whereas is the Knicks, which is ironic because they're a team that everyone aggregates the Knicks, that they're the biggest team in the NBA, one of the biggest team in sports to aggregate. And yet most Knicks blogs don't take that route. I think probably because a lot of Knicks fans who write for those blogs are sort of tired of the aggregation. So they yeah. focus more on the analysis. But, you know, there could be there's a lot of stories that would just sit there and no one will really pick it up, even even among the major blogs or major uh, sites. Um, so it is funny with the Knicks. You're right. There, there is that little bit of a gap there, but a big difference in terms of, you know, like I said, with the Dodgers, it's like. You know, Mookie Betts can say anything right now, and you'll literally have like eight different Dodger fan sites covering that, you know, yeah. two sentences. But with, with the Knicks, it's a little different. It'll be the Bleacher Reports will pick it up, but it won't be so much all the blogs. Yeah, no, it is interesting. And like, and look, that's that was the original 
your original conception of the newsletter. And even now that's morphed into more of me doing a, you know, a commentary on like a bigger issue as opposed to like, all right, here are your, here are your bullet points of news for the day. It's, 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 it's all interesting to me. Um, and I'm sure when we had this conversation, um, you know, during the, the 300th episode, knock on wood, um, <laughs> we'll, we'll yes, get... by the 300 episode, uh, and this is great for Nick's blog, it will be me somehow beating that army by myself, that army of Dodgers nation. That is, <laughs> they, are, they, are, they are keeping me up at night right now. They, they are a true, uh, a tough team to beat. But anyways, back Listen, to the Knicks. If anyone could do it, it's you. The LeBron, <laughs> the LeBron James of, uh, of, uh, I don't know, amalgamation blogging, whatever. I don't know what you would call it. So yes, the Knicks are, are, let's start with this. The Knicks are done playing basketball. Um, it, uh, I guess they're going to vote on this on Thursday, so it, it should become official then, right? But it's, you know, there's no question about whether or not it's going to happen. Um, let's start with the poll. So I told you I was going to ask you this. So I put out the Twitter poll saying, um, are you happy the Knicks season is done? Are you not happy? And uh, are you indifferent was the third choice. So you said you voted in this. I'm going to, but yeah, very, right. very early on, right? Right. Very early in, in the, and the, so there wasn't a bunch of, you know, it was literally like, I saw your tweet pop up. I voted right away and it was like, I don't know, 22 votes or something. Okay. So I said, I would guess what you voted. I'm going to guess you voted that you are happy the season is over. Am I, am I correct? Yes, I did. Okay. Although it's funny, I did pause about it, and we can get that into that, I guess, in a minute. But yeah. you're going to ask what I guess the, the vote is. Yeah, I'm what do you guess the vote is? Saying, I'm going to look it up right now. Hang on. Most people, I think, would say yes, because they're focused on the lottery odds, and they're focused on what's the point to go back. Come on. You got to – listen, put put your reputation on the line. You got to give me your numbers here. What what percentage of people do you think oh, I was are gonna say happy the season's uh, over? I'm going to say it's 85%. Yes. Well, hold I on. Think it's Keep in mind, there was an, there was an indifferent choice too. Oh, there's an indifferent. All right. So then maybe I'll do like 75, 15, 10, if that somehow adds up. That does add up. You're a little off. It's 60% almost on the number. Um, happy the next season is over. Um, 20% not happy, 20%. Okay, I'm surprised 20, the twenty percent indifferent, I guess. But yeah, I mean, it's funny because I I think it was on the uh, Woj pod with with Zach Lowe. They did like a two part pod. I listened to it. The, yeah, it's a good pod. They were saying that there were some teams who were worried that if they were left, if they were part of a small group that was left out, that they, you know, basically it would be embarrassing, right? And I, I was kind of thinking to myself, like, you know, that is a classic kind of Knicks thing, right? Like everyone is, is going to be like, oh, look, you know, everyone comes back except the Knicks. I wondered if they were that team. But I thought even some fans would actually have that feeling, too, of like, I don't want to hear about how the Knicks were one of the teams that didn't get to go. And it's another, you know, joke type thing. I, it would just be nice to, you know, focus on the basketball side. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. Because my initial my thinking the whole way was yeah I'm I'm kind of happy the season's over because purely from a lottery odds um, standpoint but I don't know now that I know that they the teams that are going back are playing eight games like I don't know for maybe this is me you know parsing something that shouldn't be parsed but like going back if they had gone back to get to seventy right. 
they would have played, I, I believe they would have played five games or uh, four or five because they were. At, I thought every everyone's playing. Oh, you're saying if they yeah, played. Yeah, my, my initial. Yeah, they played 66 games. There you go. So 45, right? In, yeah, because my, like a month ago when we first started thinking about this, like my initial thing was like, all right, well, if they try to just get everybody back to get to 70, then that would get us four more games. Which I'm like, is it really like? What are you going to learn about your team in four games? Eight games is, I don't know. You could, I feel like, like just for argument's sake, if Kevin Knox came down to Orlando and looked like you know Kevin Knox summer league of 2018, um, I would. I don't know how much of uh, how much would that matter in terms of you know. All, I mean, we could. You know the the possibilities are unendless, but like his trade value, his um, you know, confidence going into next year, like the organization's decision making about like, well, maybe we don't need to sign a stretch four. Maybe he's our, you know, all those types of things. I don't know. What do you? Where do you? Yeah. Do you think? Well, no, I think that that's the big question, right? It's it's one. I, I guess you bring up in terms of even value in terms of trading these guys, but it's you know, it's possible the team goes ten months you know, without playing again, which if the rumors about Tom uh, Thibodeau is true, then maybe they need the 10 month break because he'll be playing them, you know, 45 minutes a night. But, oh my God, I almost spit. I just took a sip of water and I almost spit it out. <laughs> uh, good job. Thank you. But the, the point is, it is a long time that if you step back and you say, so what, what was the point of the 2019-20 season for the Knicks? Um, okay. you know, once they didn't sign all the, all the superstars, it was to develop the young players and, you know, we're putting all the health stuff aside. I think it makes complete sense. Y- you don't force large groups yes. of people to travel when they don't have to. Yes. But, you know, if, if you put that aside and just think from the basketball perspective, you say, yeah, you know, this is basically your summer league, right? Like you get to go, you get these players to, you know, stay in like competitive playing shape, not just like working out amongst a few people in the gym. Um, you know, obviously you're not going to have a new coach come in before they return to play. So it's still be like Miller. So it's not like you're getting time with the new coach, but you know, they're still getting to play with each other. Um, so I think there is value in that. I guess what, tr- you know, kind of trumps it all is the, the health, the health concerns, um, where, where, you know, you're, you're putting these players at risk for really, you know, no reason. Now, if it was a scenario like was being floated that, you know, maybe they would actually get into similar to like the NHL was doing where they yeah. get into a playoff format. Now that question you put out, is a lot more interesting because it's like, okay, you can either return and maybe in some weird, strange universe, like make the playoffs out of a play-in or stay home. Now, you know, it's a little more difficult, I think, for, for fans to think about. That that see that's what I wanted to avoid because I I mean we haven't heard officially yet but I cannot fathom that a team that gets into the the playoffs um, is going to be you know is going to retain really good lottery odds I mean may, I mean I I never say never but you know that would seem to have been not a, a thing that would have would have made sense um, just because I wouldn't it wouldn't be fair because. Like, you know, if they invited all 30 teams back, which was really realistically the, the only scenario the Knicks were going to play, and they made it such that every one of those teams at least entered 
with some modicum of possibility to make the playoffs, like how, like, I mean, look at the Warriors, right? Like right now they have the best lottery odds. You're telling me the Warriors could then get into the playoffs or, you know, and have the best odds at the, the first pick and, and, um, you know, getting a a top four pick like that wouldn't just, just wouldn't be fair. Right. Well, plus the whole issue with their health changing over time. Right? Exactly. I mean, like they're, they would be able to, I mean, can you imagine they talk about having your cake and eating it too? Yeah, no, that, that, yeah, I think that it's those scenarios that they, I think they wanted to avoid. They didn't want to make it where the season that was already played, which, you know, a majority of it was played was completely, you know, useless essentially, because you come up with this crazy tournament that kind of resets everyone everyone's odds. So I think I think the way they're doing it makes the most sense. Um, maybe this is a, a terrible segue, but I always in my head call him Tibbs. When you actually say his full last name, do you say Thibodeau or Thibodeau? Thibodeau. Thibodeau, right? Thibodeau. I actually this was this was brought up on I'm gonna get the credit wrong, but I wanna say Nick Friedel um, was the ESPN reporter who covered um, the Bulls. And then I believe he went to the, did he go to the Timberwolves beat? But he was, he covered Tibbs more than anybody. And on an, on an episode of the low post, um, uh, I don't know what it was. It was before he got fired. So a year and a half, two years ago, they had this very conversation and it is Thibodeau, okay. Thibodeau and, right, and well, Tibbs. There you go, because I, I always fumble when I'm going to say his full name because I'm like, well, wait a minute. Is it, are we just calling him Tibbs because it's easy, but it's actually – because you wouldn't say Thibbs, but it's actually Thibodeau. But all right, so Thibodeau. That's, it that's is good. Thibodeau. Um, so, yeah, uh, speaking of Thibodeau, um, but, well, that, and that's the other thing, by the way, that it would have gotten messy. Like, well, But then again, would all of these reports – because, like, clearly somebody's been – People have been leaking stuff because like the Stein, I don't know. Did, how did you read the Stein report from, uh, what was it? When did that come out this morning or last night? Yeah. Yeah. Right. It came. Well, I mean, I looked at it to me that, well, everyone I think was just on common sense was starting to link the Knicks to Tibbs from, you know, from the very beginning when Leon Rose took over, he was actually on the short list of, of in-season candidates before Rose took over according to Shams. But I felt like it was real to me when he went on the Woj pod, which was sort of like that interview coaches do when they're yeah. like, okay, I'm ready to come back. Yep. And then all of the Knicks beat writers covered that interview, even though he said absolutely nothing interesting in it. Nothing. Which is usually a type of thing like I cover at Daily Knicks, <laughs> but yeah. not something that they would cover. And that's when I said to myself, you know what? There's a reason, even though there was nothing to suggest about the Knicks, there was nothing in there. There's a reason they all covered it is because, you know, a lot of reporters, they know more than they can officially report. And I think they all know this is pretty much a done deal, even before they came out saying it was a leading candidate and whatnot. But, you know, on Stein, to me, I, I just saw... You know, I, I just think everyone's hearing the exact same thing. So they're just trying to find a creative way to say the same thing. One of them calls him a leading candidate. Another one says overwhelming favorite. Um, you know, it, it just seems like a done deal. Yeah, um, it does. And I wonder, I wonder if our scent is being thrown off. Let me put it this way. How much would it shock you if he was not the selection? 
I mean, yeah, I guess it, it wouldn't, it depends who it is instead, right? So if it's Atkinson, would it shock me? No. But yeah, if it's what someone- What if it was just, Jerry Stackhouse? Yeah, I think I would be, I think that would, that would surprise me. Because I, here's the thing. And you, listen, you know enough about this from the years that you've been doing this now. And it, it is years. Um, there are, there are people inside the Knicks organization that like to talk. And I think they're like, but my, my read of those people that get information out there. And I, I don't know if this is anything more than my assumption, but my read is always like, these are people that are maybe not close to the owner, but like around the owner. Um, <laughs> we didn't even talk about Dolan yet. Um, uh, we'll say that. Um, but like, so let's just say for argument's sake that that is still the case. I don't know that to be true, but that's just my assumption that a lot of these leaks come from people that are in Dolan's orbit. If that's true, how confident are we that it's still the same, you know, modus operandi around the garden? Or could it be that Leon Rose is actually keeping things closer to the vest? I, you know. Yeah, no, I think that's possible. The reason that I guess the dots that I would connect are one, like I said, even before Rose took over. You you know his name was mentioned on the, on the short list by Shams, who obviously is you know when he says something there there's usually something pretty legitimate to it, which suggests to your point that maybe that's coming from you know uh, closer to the ownership group if it carried over. But then second, you saw Frank Isola come out. Um, I think it was in early March, calling yeah. him the favorite, and to me, if there's a reporter who is not very uh, close to people you know, <laughs> inside the Knicks organization because of the way he, he will call them out. It is yeah. him. But if there's someone who would be close to in this coach who was an assistant during the entire time that Isola was covering the team very closely, you know, to me, when he said that, that would come more from outside the Knicks organization. And then now you, you just add all of these these other reports together. So I guess that's why I feel like you know, it's the even the type of people reporting on it. Yeah. Um, I also think that, you know, there is I mean, again, I don't know how far the the Knicks would go into these type of, you know, um, I'll call them feeler activities. But, yeah, sometimes these things get leaked just to kind of get an idea of reception. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's possible. But I just don't know if the Knicks, if they're the, they're the type of organization that would do that. Um well, or but, if Leon know, Rose well, is the type of president that would engage in that sort of activity, because we don't know what type of president he's going to be. Yeah, well, well, the whole concept too is he's obviously linked to him, and you wonder would he would he put would he put him through this kind of like you're the leading candidate report? Oh, uh, good call. To then say that's like, a good call. Oh, you know, like we're actually that had nothing to do with you. I, I'm not sure if he would do that to someone that he he knows like that. That's I can't uh, see. J, JB, you are still the smartest guy in the room. 
Um, no, that makes so much sense. Unless again, you're trying to, you know, the other thing too, though, is like we see when teams grant kind of token interviews is you try to elevate someone's reputation a little more. So if he's so you're telling me he's trying to get his boy a, the Houston job for the Brooklyn job. Yeah. So, you know, trying to go with, with your thoughts, so maybe it's a smoke screen that, you know, they're, uh, they're, but, but I guess just to jump into like, okay, let's say it is him. My biggest concern about it is not even necessarily the obvious ones that I think everyone feels with him. It is the whole concept right now is the Knicks need some sort of hire that's not going to turn into a disaster within a very short period of time. And I'm just worried that I don't, I don't necessarily look at Tibbs as someone you're hiring with confidence that he's a five-year answer. I think he's someone you're hiring that you're hoping can just for your team, despite all of the, you know, stains on his record, along with all the achievements, you're hoping for your team, the things he does well come out perfect for your team and it works. And then if it doesn't, you move on. And I think that's my worry is that he's the type of hire that I could see two years from now, for whatever reason, you, you could be in the same position where you're looking for someone again. He, he's not necessarily like, Okay, this is the guy that that we can just like an Atkinson that we can just grow with for a long period of time. So that's interesting you say that because that was when I wrote about it last week. I I basically made the point that I Atkinson would be my my pick of the two, just purely because Atkinson has walked into a situation like this where it is and and, and part. Let me take a step back. I have been not. Um, uh, what's the word? Um, I haven't been good enough about differentiating the situation that Tibbs is walking into in New York with the situation Tibbs walked into in Minnesota because I, you know, put the graphic on the newsletter saying that, like, yeah, he had a bunch of young players um, in his first year in Minnesota, like Cat Wiggins, Levine. the The pedigree of the young players and the lack of question about like. You know, when he walked in there, it was like, okay, it's Cat and Wiggins for the next decade. There is no questioning that. And then Levine was kind of like a tertiary piece. Here, there is no such, like, this is a, this situation is much closer to the situation that Atkinson walked into in Brooklyn. So that's why it's like, we've seen Atkinson be able to be the guy that takes you up those first several steps. Um, Whereas Tibbs... Like you're saying, it's like I I think he's the guy you hire when you're go when you're ready to go win a championship or or attempt to do that. Um, and it, it seems like they're maybe just hoping that they could fast track that. That's that's yeah, to me. Well, what it the tells me is. it tells me that they are thinking. Look, we think from our these group of young players, we have two worthwhile: Barrett, Mitchell Robinson. Everything else of the roster is up for grabs. And somewhere or another, we're going to acquire a star, hopefully using those other young pieces on the roster and, and potentially draft picks. And then between Barrett, Robinson, and star player, we, you know, we start taking that, that step forward quicker. And Tibbs is the veteran coach who you know, leads the way. I, I think that, to me, that's... That's what this is showing. Um, 
you know, it's not going to be, let's, let's just, we got another lottery pick this year, you know, let's get another project in here. Let's keep developing the young guys that we have. I, I think it's swing. I think they're starting to swing again for home runs, even in the draft, which we could get to where, you know, you hear the, the rumors of them, you know, tied to LaMelo ball or whatever, which, you know, whatever your opinions are on him as a prospect, the point is, I think that that's the route they're going. They're saying either you are a top guy who, who can really like be a, a franchise turner or we're willing to move on to get some veteran pieces in here that can help us win now. And part of that is Tibbs. That, that, yeah. That's to me what it sort of signifies. You you nailed it. It's like, I, I, don't, I, I don't think for one second this spells the end of like R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson or the rookie that they end up with with their top pick. And I do think it is going to be Lamelo Ball. I would actually, at this point, I don't know that I'd say I'd be shocked if Lamelo Ball was in a Nick next year, but I would be surprised because they're going to pick high enough and they have enough extra assets. And like, I think if we if we look at the Knicks, you know, uh, uh, foresee their ten man rotation next year, we're not going to be seeing you know seven or eight players on their rookie contracts. Like that's that's not going to happen. Um, which to relate it back to the to Lamelo Ball, it's like if there was ever a draft where you could foresee a team trading, let's just say for argument's sake, the seventh, the twenty seventh, and the thirty eighth pick for the second or the third pick, um, you know, and maybe there's some little sweetener in there, but like some framework of that deal, like bringing in Tibbs would signal, like, yeah, that's what the Knicks are going to do. They're going to go all in on these three young kids. And then they're going to surround it. And then the question becomes, you know, who do they surround that young core with? And that's the thing that I've been struggling with. Because, like, somebody asked me, like, who I thought their most, their, the most likely starting lineup or, like, make a prediction for their starting lineup next year. And I was like, Dragic, Gallo, and, like, you know, RJ, Mitch, and, like, Ball. Because I'm just trying to – because I don't think they're going to give years to guys – but at the same time, they're not just going to run back what they had last year and and put out guys that just don't make like are, are just are not good enough to win games. Yeah, well, and the fact that with with everything uh, impacted uh, by the pandemic and and the revenues, and um, I think it will create. Well, obviously, it'll make it difficult on teams. I think it will also create opportunities where it'll be interesting to see. Are there players like you're alluding to who, you know, might have traditionally required a longer term commitment that, you know, look at it and say, well, this this one off season is an, is a strange situation. So let's just sign a one year prove it deal and, you know, get my real money the next year. I don't have those players off the top of my head, but I, I think there's possibilities that could happen. You do wonder for some of the um, teams, especially some of the ones left out of returning to play and, you know, do they run into cash flow problems? Do, do players suddenly start becoming available that, um, that weren't before for financial reasons? I think it's just hard to predict, but I think what the Knicks are doing is they're, it's sort of like the known unknown where they're saying, we know something crazy always happens and yeah. players, right. And that's, that's where we're going to be. Well, whoever that is, we're going to be, I don't, I don't know if they necessarily, maybe they have a guess on who that would be, but it might be based more on, you know, information they have that the public doesn't even know yet about 
you know, this is where you hope Leon Rose is adding value with his connections in the league of, you know, he comes in in February. Well, you know, before that, he obviously had a pretty good pulse, I think, on on different situations happening with different teams. Yeah. You know, maybe he knows there's things, you know, about to boil uh, under the surface. So th- that's kind of how I look at it. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And it, that would be like my – and again, the to me, the Tibbs hire, if it is indeed Tibbs, makes makes all of these things more likely. It's the the one question is yeah who who do they bring in on those like short term you know big money one year deals which by the way um, I haven't gotten I don't think we've actually talked about this I don't think the the plan to bring in a bunch of one year guys I don't think that was the problem I just think they brought in the wrong one year guys like I don't actually think that there's necessarily a fault in that as a as a construct where where, where are you at at this point on on the idea. Well, yeah, I think last off season, it it was just impossible in terms of how you set expectations when so much was built up to obviously them getting, you know, these superstar players. And then, you know, the whole concept like, OK, now they signed all these power forwards. Is that um, like a, a cliche or is it actually true that, you know, at the time, like it just didn't make sense to sign those players? And I think. Um, giving the team options was where Mills for a long time, the really the best thing that him and even Phil, I know Phil Jackson had Noah, but for the most part, what, what has been a little bit of a common trend is the avoidance of making like major, major, major mistakes. Yeah. Now, Noah and the Porzingis trade could turn into that, but the concept was supposed to be Stay with the young players, stay with the draft picks, stay with as much cap space as possible to give options. They just haven't been in a position to use it all. Um, so, yeah, I think to answer your question, I, I think it was clearly the wrong mix of players. But I also think no matter what they did with the talent that was available for them to sign, yeah, the outcome probably wasn't going to be a whole lot different. Like with, when the core of your roster is as young as they they are. This this is what happens, right? You're not going to win probably 45, 50 games. You're going to win 30 to 40 if you're lucky. Oh, and I, I think that that's that's just where they were at. For sure. I don't think that there were one-year contracts to be had last offseason that would have resulted in a, a better team. Um, I just I, – I think the – like the the – the idea of bringing in guys on one-year deals. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like, yeah. it, do you lose? Do you lose something because you don't build like any continuity? And, yeah, exactly. I yeah. like. No, I, yeah. I, I think that there is definitely something to say about that, um, because again, if you're trying to build a team that understands how they can play together, you know, they need some time together, and that's also that comes to the coach. Where I think they're thinking with someone like Tibbs is people know what they're getting with him. He's a veteran coach. Yeah. He knows how to put a system in place. So, you know, whoever we bring in, he's going to make it where, you know, it, it's very clear the style that we're going to play. I think with Fizdale, you know, one of, I guess you could call the many critiques with him is he <laughs> didn't really know what he's about. I think the closest you could say was he wanted guys to play with like some high energy, you know, get some turnovers, keep the ball moving, you know, down the court. Um, 
there was some of that, but it wasn't like he was like, you know, Rick Pitino or something like employing <laughs> a full court press. Like, I no. think that was the thing missing. There wasn't an identity to his coaching style that you could say, okay, this is how everyone is going to now fit. And I think their hope is they get that with a veteran oh, coach, with a coach. I think, but I think you're absolutely going to get that with Tibbs. Like his, his teams, if nothing else, have had an identity and it was a, but at the same time, we learned in Minnesota that without the right pieces in the right places, like for instance, you, you know, you can't have a sieve at, at, at center and, and make his, you know, defensive identity work. Um, yeah, so that'll be interesting. But but just to um, finish up what I was saying before, the other big unknown for me is like, who are these, like who who are these disgruntled players that we keep you know hearing referenced, and like what like what are the Knicks trading? Because I and that's I guess the biggest misconception for me with this plan uh, that people are like, well, they have you know they have all these assets that they could you know they're in a good position to a trade like. The, you know, if we're using like the old Bill Simmons coins analogy, like the Knicks have like a bunch of like nickels and maybe some dimes. I don't know that the Knicks have like any quarters. Like maybe they're maybe they're two, their own twenty twenty one draft pick is a quarter. Um, so if like you're trying to trade for like a fifty cent piece, let alone a dollar, a dollar piece, I don't know. You know, and, you know, but. Again, if they hire Tibbs, it would seem that they're confident that they could swing that type of a deal. So, you know, I guess what do I know? Yeah, and like, you know, when these guys get traded, it, it it's sometimes sort of strange how the return worked out. And I think that's the, the whole thing where you're saying, well, is it a 50 cents or a dollar? It's um, I'm thinking of the Jay-Z lyric now, but um, <laughs> it's you know, it's what type of star, you know, like I said at the beginning, they want to keep Robinson and Barrett and then add another star. Well, star is loosely used there, right? Like, it, uh, very. you know, it could be like a number two or number three player on a very good team. That's quote a star for the Knicks. I think that's more realistic than, you know, a top 15, 20 player, like you're saying, because that, that requires that you're you're probably not putting them alongside Robinson and Barrett. You're probably giving up one of those guys to get him. Yeah. No, I would agree with you. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, do you, let's say it's announced, you know, whatever, Monday they announced Tom Thibodeau is, is going to be the next head coach of the Knicks. Are you, are you going to feel more good about that or more not good about that? I might be one of these indifferent right now because <laughs> – I really think the, you know, I just really think, and maybe it's because this is what happens when you're a Knicks fan and you've gone through so many coaches. It's the roster. You know, it really is. And then, and then obviously, you know, the, the coach can make a difference with that roster. But when, when you're the Knicks and you just haven't had a competitive roster for so long, I mean, let's face it, like, look at over the past, 20 years where they've had few flashes, very few flashes of being good. Was it because of the coach they had at that time? Or could you just rank the best rosters they've had at that time? And those teams were the best teams. So I guess that's why I don't go too crazy with this stuff, because I feel like if you have it's it's about the roster. That's that's overwhelmingly what's going to make the difference. Yeah. Um, so I guess the next question would be like, and this is great. I haven't talked to you in so long. I can ask you all this stuff. What do you want to see the roster be 
next year, which is, I guess, different than what do you think it will be? But like, do you, do you think that they will go like sign, like again, one year guys, do you think they will somehow figure out a way to swing a trade for a big name before next season starts? Like where, where would your money be? I, I guess I want to see, and this is what I've been hoping the, the last several drafts where they've actually kept their pick is to me, the bigger hope isn't in signing someone. It's you finally just draft the guy who two months into the season, the entire NBA world is like, yeah, this guy is clearly a future star, right? Yeah. Like, you know, we experienced a little bit with, you know, his name is no longer mentioned. Oh, I, I think we experienced it with him. I, I remember that quite clearly. Everybody was on board with that. But that, that is the true franchise changer. When you get that guy who... You know, we go through this every draft cycle where there's all these mocks and all these people less smarter than us who've watched all these guys. They tell us what they're going to be, what they're not going to be. And then it's amazing how quick that next season you sort of figure out, you know, who who's the real deal and not. And so to me, it, it's hard to say, OK, I want I want them to go acquire this star or I want them to sign this veteran. I just want them to somehow in this draft find a way to get the guy. And I have no idea on these prospects, so I'm not going to guess and tell you. But to get the guy, if you're telling me it's LaMelo Ball, who is that game changer, then you suddenly can start, you know, acting from a position of power of we now have multiple young players under team control that aren't paid a lot. And yes, we can now just add stuff around them. Obviously, this has been the forever dream and it, it hasn't really happened since Ewing, but that that's kind of where I'm at. Cause I, I think it's just too hard to predict. Otherwise there's so many different factors in terms of adding a guy like Gallinari, like, yeah, Gallinari works depending on, again, how the rest of your roster is set up. If he's, or even a guy like Mello, right? Like if you're adding him to the right role and, and he accepts that role, then great. But that role isn't defined yet on this roster. It, it's sort of, everything is, is, you know, to be determined. Man, I, if there was a casino taking bets on Kamala Anthony wearing a Knicks jersey for opening night of the 2021 season, I would my I, my wife would probably get really mad at the amount of money that I would go and willy nilly wager on that. Well, no, the the wager you got to take, and I can't. I want to say it was, I don't know, was it seven to one, ten to one? It was crazy odds for Atkinson to get the job. Like they just recently put out new odds after um, Tibbs was named the leading candidate. And he was obviously the overwhelming favorite. What I couldn't believe, though, was they had, I think they had like Mark Jackson or Jeff Van Gundy, all these other ones higher up there. And I'm like, that's the one to go put some money down. Those are long odds for one of the few other people that's been reported that's going to get an interview. Um, I was thinking the same thing in terms of like, yeah. let, let's go cash in on this. That's a, the, yeah, they were they were good odds. I um, I still can't quite wrap my head around why. Like, I don't know. It just because if 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 because if if Tibbs is a done deal, like the the NBA coaching fraternity is a small one. Like, do you really think Kenny Atkinson would go? and trot himself over to MSG for an interview for a job that he knows he's not going to get. So that's, again, there, there are little tiny things that lead me to think that maybe it's not as, you know, and I'm the one who I had a story out in February saying that there are multiple people, you know, 
within the Knicks organization who feel like it's whatever it's at ninety percent or um that it's gonna be Tibbs. I it's yeah, I don't know. Um I'd I'd bet a couple of bucks on Atkinson. Um all right, we've been talking for over fifty minutes. Do you do you wanna talk about Dolan? <laughs> to end on Dolan. Well, this one is an interesting one. So I guess the answer is yes. Is Your I tweet was like, perfect, by the way. Yes, last night. Yeah, I didn't. Well, it's funny because I was talking to the, the NBA editor at Fansided about, you know, should I cover this or not? And I told him, I said, you know, it's one of, the, it's one of those things where Knicks fans are just so tired of hearing anything to do with Dolan that it's just another annoyance to even write about it. But then as I watched kind of people responding to the news, I found it interesting that a lot of the people who have long almost defended him against the, the media were actually this time saying, no, like this is clearly ridiculous that he won't just come out and issue a statement. But I think you look at it two ways. One is, does a statement matter? Absolutely not. It means nothing. Actions do speak louder than words. The Knicks have had a diverse uh, hiring practices. You know, I don't think any of us in the public know much beyond that, whether whether there's issues in a company or not. Yeah. Um, but then you can look at it from the perspective of, you know, like we usually do with Dolan. Well, how does it impact how players, as we're talking about, can they attract stars, view the team? And I just don't see... In the past, I can understand like the whole Richard Jefferson statement. You know, there's some petty stuff that, well, it's petty. I don't think it really would matter at the end of the day for a star player to decide would I want to play with the Knicks or not. I think it's a lot of noise that just disappears. You do wonder with something like this if, you know, you've seen players talk, you know, former players like Kendrick Perkins talk about it. I mean, you do wonder if something like this is enough where it, it casts a little doubt in players' minds of, you know, who is this guy? Like, you know, why is he so reluctant to say anything? Does it tell me a little more about his thinking? Have I heard stuff people have whispered to me that I wasn't sure about? And maybe this confirms it a little bit. Um, you know, that that's the part where, you know, from a basketball side, maybe there could be impact independent of just the non-basketball reasons why, you, you know, I think it's it's valuable to at least just let people know how you feel about an issue that's very important to your employees or your shareholders or your fans. Yeah, I I think that I agree with everything you said. Um, I think the thing that I struggled with with this was like, because what, what would have been the easy thing to do, right? The easy thing to do would have been to put out a toothless statement, right? Something that doesn't actually say anything, which a lot of teams and a lot of other businesses across the country have done where it's like a, a lot of words that when you actually read them and you're, it's like, is this saying anything that would have been so easy to do? And it wouldn't have been got, it wouldn't have gotten any national attention whatsoever. Be, um, and it just would have been, okay, the Knicks are another NBA team that put out a statement. Um, but would like, is that it feels, it feels wrong to be sitting here and being and be like, couldn't they have just done that? Because really, that's not what we want either. In our, in an ideal world, we would all like to have an owner that you know actually stood for something that was you know real. But that gets back to your point, which is like the evidence says he actually does maybe stand for something that is more important than words. So 
it really is a complicated issue. Um, I, yeah, I, this is why I'm happy we saved this for last because I, I, I just I don't have anything intelligent to say about it. I wrote like several different versions of what I said about it in this morning's newsletter, and I just you know I landed on one thing and, and that was it. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to, to really say, but in, just to finish up, maybe the the thing that you said about, um, you know, how players view them and whatnot. I think the most important thing that we're going to learn over the next year is are there wh- what are what are people what are people going to be saying about the Knicks organization? Is it still business as usual? Is it still like ah? Eh, they're not to be trusted with how they do business in terms of just their internal practices and like how they run, run their operations every day. Or is that stuff finally going to quiet down? Which I, that of all the things that I'm hopeful about with this team, that probably is number one, because if you think about it now, four of the five most important decision makers in the organization in terms of the front office, like the basketball decision makers, they're all new. They're from the outside. So that's, that to me is the thing that I'm going to see. Right. And I think, I think the hope too is you can look at the way it's funny because the the first word people think about when they hear Dolan Nix is meddling. And you could argue that the area he meddles the most is PR. And and it causes concern because you say to yourself, if the Knicks social media team is afraid to tweet the final score of a loss, you know that is not coming from the person working the head of social media there, because no one in their right mind would say, hey, guys, don't put in the score of the game. That's going to help us boost engagement. That's coming from much higher up. When the team doesn't issue a statement, I think there are certain organizations that they leave that to their staff to decide how to handle it. And maybe the owner will come in and, you know, they, they for something important as this recent topic, maybe then the owner will at least, you know, view it. But a lot of it, it doesn't get to the owner. So you worry that if he's reaching down and um, impacting those decisions, does he do the same on the basketball side? And I think, I think what you're saying is the hope is maybe this is just a guy he's obsessed with PR. Yes. And even though he's terrible at it, but he doesn't actually extend the same reach into basketball matters. And the fact that the team has brought in a lot of people from outside the garden with respectability to now make those basketball decisions, maybe from a basketball standpoint, while the team's PR will still suck because of Dolan, the basketball stuff that really matters will not. And I think that that's a good, you know, I think that's a realistic hope to have. Yeah. And I, and you know, when, Players laugh at the at the organization, which is what we've been kind of led to believe happens across the league. I I agree. I don't think they care about the PR stuff nearly as much as the fact that they care about the the people running the team don't know what they're doing. And it makes me think of I think it was the last line in some article that the Athletic put out. It was after um, Brock Aller was hired. Um. And I don't know if it was Vork doing like one of those like interview pieces he's been doing where it goes like back and forth with him and someone else. But like basically someone said like the Knicks just went from being the team in the league that was perhaps worst at being like creative with their deals and like doing creative things behind the scenes to now they're going to be one of the best. And like that's what I think of where I just think people across the league were like, yeah, those bunch of ass clowns don't like 
they're not innovative. They're not making smart decisions. They're not doing anything. There's nothing good behind the scenes there. And they have an owner who's dipping his toe in the PR waters. If they could just flip the first part around, I, I have to think that'll make some cognizable change. Yes. So the last question I'm going to, I'm going to pose it to you. Yes. Are you ready now for what, what, what could be 10 months <laughs> of writing a newsletter, tweeting and doing a podcast about a team that won't play one single basketball game in that time? Uh, so I, I, I will continue to put out a, at the very least, a, a once a week. Uh, a newsletter and I will I will continue to shoot for two I mean I've only been writing two for I want to say the last like six weeks or so because Jeremy's been been doing an article a week too so three newsletters two by me um maybe it goes down to one you know I look it's me I, I'm still a lawyer at heart I'll always yeah, have yeah. something to say well no well this is where we can sort of thank the Knicks for the drama because look if they were a normal team I'm talking about from a content uh, producer yeah, perspective. Sure. If they were a normal team, it would just be all quiet right now. But it's like, no, they're going to be hiring a coach. So you're going to get at least after Thursday, you're going to get a couple weeks that you're going to get to talk about that. Then there's going to be, you know, about the lottery when that comes up in August, then it's going to be who are they going to draft? Who are they going to sign? I mean, yeah, if you're just kind of like a normal, mostly veteran team with a staple coach, I mean, it's, it's going to be brutal for teams like that, um, you know, o- over this stretch. Yeah. Um, no, I listen. I am. I am happy um, to have to have the things to write about, as I'm sure you are too. Um, yeah. Okay. So, two hundred in the books. Uh, anything uh, more before we uh, sign off for our listening audience? No, no. This is fun. Hopefully, we'll do it a little more. And you know, to me, the missing the basketball part is I do want to eventually get into doing some more videos, but. Uh, maybe maybe the draft stuff because obviously there's not going to be uh, <laughs> any any Knicks stuff to break down. But um, but no, other than that, just uh, you know, I guess like we started off with at the beginning, you know, trying to be reflective of everything that's going on and um, hope people are staying safe. Yeah, um, that's I think that's a good way to end it. Uh, everybody out there, stay safe, stay uh, uh, stay hopeful, um, and uh, yeah, we will. We will be back with you with another episode uh, very soon. Uh, JB, don't go anywhere. Uh, Everybody, um, thank you for listening, and we will uh, talk to you soon. 